So we've been working through this book uh, of Ecclesiastes. Uh, we've given it the, the title, Living Wise. So um, just to give you a bit of a heads up, we've been working through it. We're at the last uh, five verses of the book. Uh, but next week, which is our concluding week in the book, we're going to do um, one of our sessions where we're going to gather together, we're going to sing a few songs together, uh, we're going to read, we're going to pray together, and then we're going to work through an overview of the whole of the book, a kind of a summary. And as we're going along, um, we're going to have the opportunity again, as we did before Christmas, uh, to just drop some t questions regarding what we're looking at uh, onto, um, onto the web page or however it's done, techie at the back. It'll appear up here and we'll work through those questions as we're going along. So maybe you've got somebody who you've been chatting to over the past weeks and you think it'd be a great way for them to just find uh, a connection with some of my friends in church, share together. Uh, it'll be a great opportunity to bring friends al along. I was thinking, how do we look at a book like Ecclesiastes at the end of it? I thought, it's a bit like, in lots of ways, it feels almost like a kaleidoscope. And then I thought, if I use the word kaleidoscope, there's going to be a whole load of people who haven't got a clue what a kaleidoscope is. So, so lo a long time ago, you know, really hundreds of years ago, at Christmas time, you used to get these cardboard tubes, uh, and at one end there was, a, there was a dial that turned, and you looked through the other end, uh, and a set of colored beads would, would be jiggled around and it would create a shape as you looked up at the light and a bright shape would, would change each time you turned uh, the, the, disc around, the uh, collar around at the far end. And it almost feels a little bit like the, the book of Ecclesiastes as a kaleidoscope of ideas. You're not sure what's coming next. It's this idea and that idea. I think sometimes it's helpful to just draw it together a little bit and say, in amongst those kaleidoscopes of ideas, let me just give you a few, a little bird told me. You've heard that, haven't you? comes from Ecclesiastes. All streams run to the sea. comes from Ecclesiastes. These little phrases, lots and lots of them. But it's essentially centered around one idea. And it's the idea that we can live, in one sense, under a knowledge of God and live with God as our Lord and listening to Him, or we can live, and the phrase that's used in Ecclesiastes, or we can live under the sun. And the idea of under the sun we've been talking about as we've been going along, the idea of under the sun is the idea that we imagine that under the sun is everything that exists, that God doesn't exist, that we can live in some way without any idea of God. What does it look like? How, does it, how do we feel when we live like that? The conclusion of the teacher who's been working us through these various perspectives is it is ultimately meaningless if we live simply under the sun if we live as though there is no God. Let me give you a little picture, uh, a kind of, I would say it's contemporary in a sense, but it's 46 years old, this idea, but in lot, you'll recognize it straight away. Imagine there's no heaven. It's easy if you try. You know it already. 
Uh, you, you will know it. It's the f- incredibly iconic John, Le- uh, John Lennon song. I nearly said John Legend then. Kind of jump back, jump forward in time. John Lennon song. It's easy if you try. Imagine there's no heaven. No hell below us. Above us, only sky. Imagine all the people living for today. Imagine there's no countries. It isn't hard to do. Nothing to kill or die for and no religion to. Imagine all the people living life in peace. You may say I'm a dreamer, but I'm not the only one. I hope someday you'll join us and the world will be as one. 1971, that song was released. And it kind of captured that idea, captures that idea of imagine living simply under the sun as though there is no God, as though what we see is all that exists. The challenge is, 46 years later, we begin to realize, I think, that when we all, in our own different ways, live simply as today, uh, simply for today, we end up in crisis. Because your today, your idea of what a perfect your today is like is different to my idea of what a perfect today is like. And there will, will be crisis and there will be challenge and there will be outbreak and there will be disaster in the world in which we live. When we imagine and when we conceive of a world where all that we have to do is live simply as though this is everything and then it's gone, the reality is that I have to live to fulfill my life in the most selfish of ways. Because if all that there is to to living is this, I want to satisfy myself. This conclusion really challenges some of those ideas. And so we're going, to, we're going to look at it in three sections. And the first thing that we're going to see is that words matter. Look at what the teacher says. Not only was this as the conclusion to the book, not only was the teacher wise, but he also imparted knowledge to the people. He pondered and searched out and set in order many proverbs. The teacher searched to find just the right words And what he wrote was upright and true. Some amazing ideas there. There's some incredible thoughts. The first thing that we see, and if you've been working through as we've been going along, I guess for many of us, the idea of working through this book, the idea of gaining wisdom, is very much an individual idea. It's this idea of my individual wisdom. This idea of, Uh, of us all gaining our own bit of individual wisdom. What we see here is, is a new little perspective on how this teacher has been considered. This teacher that's being considered, we can see from this little section, is one who imparted knowledge in a governing way, in a way of leading, in a way of oversight for the people. That's why Solomon is attributed with with this kind of thinking. It's a way of of seeing the teacher, not simply as somebody sat at the side saying, oh, by the way, live like this, 
but rather somebody who has some sort of governance, some sort of rule. But look at what kind of rule that is. It is a kind rule. It is a good rule. It's a rule which wants the best for the people that he's governing. And not only that, but he he even goes so far as to strive to work out precisely the right words to put together to govern in a way which is really wise. Hmm. It's two things that we're going to crop up, that we're going to hit into as soon as we say that. The first is this. Imagine if we lived in a world where everybody who ruled only ever wanted the best for the people. Wouldn't that be utopian and yet at the same time in this world impossible? The kind of ruler who gives sacrificially to lead in a way which has the good of the people first and foremost. That's the kind of image that this teacher has got. But the other thing that we see is is it saying, do you know what? This way is the best way. Don't go that way. It really fights against our kind of individual mindset. Ralph Waldo Emerson is attributed with this statement. He says this, One man's justice is another man's injustice. One man's beauty, another's ugliness. One man's wisdom, another's folly. You kind of say, well, do you know what? Why should we trust this teacher above all of the other voices? And that really is absolutely at the heart of this book. The whole of this wisdom, the whole of this idea of care, the whole of this idea of of bringing something It is not saying I'm bringing just another alternative wisdom to compete against all of the other voices that we're hearing. It's saying there is a voice that is coming, not from another voice under the sun, but a voice from God. That's what he's getting at. That's what this teacher is bringing. He's bringing a wisdom from God, a wisdom from outside of this world. And he's saying that's a word of value. A wisdom which is, which is carefully thought through. Where just the right words are used. That's an amazing phrase, isn't it? How can we find? Where would you go for just the right words? I want to encourage you to think in your journey of faith that you have two places to go for just the right words. And both of them have come from above the sun. (laughs) One place is the words of God in His Word, the Bible. And the second place is Jesus Himself. They go hand in hand. They go together. One speaks of the other, and the other speaks of the one. There is, that is the word. That is the word that the teacher is trying to get us to think about. And he's, he's planting in our mind 
a set of words which are so carefully thought out, so well created and crafted beyond human wisdom, beyond anything that we could construct, and it's saying this, these are the words that you can trust. Here's the thing, in this chaotic, crazy, complex world, with all sorts of multiple voices, on a day-to-day, week-to-week, month-to-month basis, where are you going to go? Where are you going to go? Where can we go? What can we trust? We need to trust words. David puts it like this. In Psalm 119, he says this. He's talking about God's Word. He's talking about the Word that God has kept for us, has authored for us. And he says this, The law of the Lord is perfect, refreshing the soul. I, 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 I want to encourage you. There are so many times when we, we feel, we feel battered, we feel crushed, We're looking for encouragement. We're looking for strength. We're looking for help. There is something absolutely unique in the Word of God to us. There is something unique. It refreshes the soul. The statutes of the Lord are trustworthy. Making wise the simple. (laughs) That's just great news. In all of these kind of complex arguments, all of the big debates of society, the most simple, straightforward, down-to-earth of all of us can become wise through God's Word. That's where we go. There is a kind of foundational stability There is a way of seeing how to live which is solid, which is dependable. The words, the statutes of the Lord are trustworthy, making the wise simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, giving joy to the heart. The commands of the Lord are radiant, giving light to the eyes. That's an amazing phrase. When we think about commands, we feel as though they're crushing things, don't, don't we? We feel as though the commands are the things which become heavy on us. And David is saying this, he's saying, I see God's commands not as something which crushes me, I see God's commands as something which gives me sight. It gives me a way of seeing life. I live like this. Not because it's some overbearing God who's crushing me down. It's because God wants the very best for me. And living like this is a way to live joyfully. Really deep joy. Radiantly. The fear of the Lord is pure, enduring forever. The decrees of the Lord are firm. And all of them are righteous. What do you think God's like? How can you know what God's like? David is saying quite simply this. You turn to His Word, and every little bit of it is good. 
Now, now let, me, let me just clarify that. There are many, many times when God's Word is twisted and used in very, very bad ways. But when we look at God's Word, and when we come to bits which we think, oh, that, seems pretty, that seems pretty heavy, that seems pretty hard. We go to somewhere else in God's Word to say, how can I understand that bit that I, I'm struggling with, that I'm finding hard? Jesus did this with the Pharisees who were making all sorts of rules on top of all sorts of rules on top of all sorts of rules. And He said quite simply this, give me the summary of God's law. Give me the summary. What is it all about? And they said, well, love the Lord your God with all your heart and love your neighbor as yourself. If we grab a hold of that and we say that nothing's changed in God's law, if we're doing those two things, if we're seeing that that is at the heart of God's Word, then the bits that seem as if they're contradicting that, it's because that we're not understanding what they're truly saying. Because those two directions of love are the consistency of God's law. They're more precious than gold. The much pure gold, they are sweeter than honey than honey from the honeycomb. That's great word. That, they are amazing words, aren't they? And they are the kind of words that this teacher is saying. They're words which are really carefully constructed. They're well thought out, and they are wise, not because they've been created by human beings, but because they have been ordained by God. They're words from above the sun. The words which are coming with the reality of the existence of God. That's one set of words. The words which are written down. And then there's this other word. John puts it like this in verse 14. He says this, The Word became flesh. All of that wisdom, all of that kind of absolute rightness and goodness all of those things that make God, God, all of those statements and words, all of those ideas and uh, perspectives and every bit of the character that we see in God's Word written becomes flesh. <laughs> it's kind of like God is saying, do you want to know what I'm like? How can we know what God is like? We say, Reveal yourself. And he says, I will. I'll do it in two ways. You can read all about me. And when you read about me, you're not reading the ideas of men who are kind of constructing ideas of what I'm like. You're reading my words to you. And then I'll reveal myself again because I'll come and join you. That's amazing, isn't it? That's what God's like. The Word became flesh and made His dwelling among us. We have seen His glory, the glory of the one and only Son, who came from the Father full of grace. That's two revelations, God's written Word and Jesus, the living Word. They're the two things. Now, do you see the connection with the whole journey of Ecclesiastes? 
living under the sun. <laughs> and those two, th- those two things stand in stark contradiction to living under the sun. They are two things which have come from above the sun. And they are saying, I am true. I am living. I am real. I am communicative. I am engaging with you. I am speaking to you. Live wisely like this. That's, that's the heart of this book. Wise words matter. I love, the, I love the way that even in that little verse which says, the teacher searched to find just the right words and what he wrote was upright and true. It just captures, for me it captures an absolute confidence in God's Word. It says, I'm not going to understand it all. I'm going to, un- to be honest, I'm going to understand 10% of what it says. Because we're, we we're going to spend eternity getting to the depth of what God's actually meaning. But I tell you what, I can trust it. In the chaos of this crazy world, I can trust it. Secondly, you can't have multiple shepherds. You can't have multiple shepherds. The words of the wise are like goats. They're collected sayings like firmly embedded nails given by one shepherd. Be warned, my son, of anything in addition to them. Of making many books, there's no end, and much study wearies the body. What can we make of this? First thing we see, words of goats. What's a goat? I want you to imagine, just for a minute, that you're stepping out of 21st century Castleford, and you're entering into uh, the ancient world of the Near East. And you have both sheep and goats and cattle, and you're having to move them around from pasture to pasture. And there are some in these rocky, uh, rocky sort of dusty environments. Some of those tracks are quite dangerous. Uh, and there were, there were staffs, long poles, and embedded in the poles at the end were nails embedded into them. Uh, and those, those nails were used to, to prod They were used to prod the sheep, the goats, the cattle, so that they would not fall into danger. We think of goads and kind of being, you know, nails being driven into us as something very, very unpleasant. If the alternative is falling off a cliff, I'll take a poke with a nail every day. That's the idea. It's so dangerous if I don't prod you You are in such danger, it is much better that I shock you with a prod that makes you jump that way. That's the idea. I want you to imagine walking along a cliff edge and suddenly, from completely nowhere, you get an absolute whack on the side. You get absolutely battered. You You kind of sprawled out on the grass away from the cliff edge. And you turn around and you think, what did you do that for? 
And then you realize that the thump that you've just received was exactly what you needed to take the next step step off a hundred foot drop. The best punch you've ever had (laughs) was that one. It was the very best. That is what God's Word does to us sometimes. It is a goad. Have you ever read those or heard or been confronted by, by those words of God which are like thumps into your conscience and into your heart? They kind of, they hit you. They, they dig into you. They, they kind of puncture you. That is good. That is good for that to be the case. That is God speaking and saying, you are heading in a direction which is dangerous. Let me love you by shocking you into a new place. I want to encourage you to hear, to respond, to see that that is a loving Father who is just corralling us all together in safety, keeping us from the edge. Words are goats. But look at the way it's constructed and the contradiction in that sentence. The words of the wise are like goads. Their collected sayings are like firmly embedded nails given by one shepherd. The first bit, you could read it like this. The words of the sages. That's plural. There's many speaking in the first bit. But all of the many voices in the first bit come from one source, from one shepherd. That idea floods the Bible. It floods the Bible. God speaks in His Word through many voices. Just look at the New Testament. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Peter, Paul, James, Jude. We we could go on. Lots and lots of different voices, different personalities, different characters, different emphasis. In the Old Testament, all of the prophets, in the church today, loads of people stood doing exactly what I'm doing right now, bringing God's Word. Lots and lots of voices, but all of those voices come from one place. Do you see the difference in a world which believes in a God who is speaking? They're not just multiple voices coming from all over the place. They are all voices that are coming from one shepherd. And so the responsibility is for us to know and to test and to understand and for us to be sure that the voices that we're hearing are actually coming from that one shepherd. John says this, and I hold you to account to hold me to account through this verse. John says, dear friends, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they're from God. He's saying, don't just assume. Don't just assume that just because the, there is a place of location or a place of a prominence of a voice, 
Don't assume that just because that person is there that that's a voice from God. Test the spirits. Check whether they're from God because many false prophets have gone out into the world. Nothing has changed. In 2,000 years of the church, nothing has changed. Keep testing the spirits. How do you test them? How do you test whether they're coming from the one spirit, from the one shepherd? <laughs> it's kind of a bit circular this. You go to the, the other voice and you say, is that, what, is that what that voice is saying? Is that what the Bible's saying? You've got to hold me to account with the Bible. You've got to. Because all I'm doing is speaking as a voice under that one shepherd. That's all it is. Isn't it amazing having the confidence of the voice from God to live in the world today? But when I look at this, and I've already said that the nails are nails in the end of staffs that are goading the sheep. And in a way it isn't speaking about this, but I I can't help but go there. (laughs) When I read about nails and one shepherd, where does your mind go? How can, I, how can I bring together the Word of God and Jesus? I bring it together in the act of Jesus. Because it is the act of Jesus that makes me absolutely sure that He is the one who is being talked about. Because it is the nails which are firmly embedded in the hands and feet of Jesus, which nail Him to the cross, which tells me that the Word of God and Jesus the person are one voice from God. And they are firmly embedded. Listen to what the way Mark comments about the moment where he sees Jesus nailed to a cross. He says this, Everybody was scorning Jesus. They were mocking Him. And he says this, in the same way the chief priests and the teachers of the law mocked Him among themselves. (laughs) He saved others. But He can't save Himself. Let this Messiah, this King of Israel, come down now from the cross that we may see and believe. Just, just picture the moment. If, if you believe this afternoon in Jesus, picture the moment as you observe your Savior being mocked. If you don't believe in Jesus this afternoon as your Savior, just enter into that moment of seeing this person nailed to a cross. And there are people looking at Him And mocking him and saying you could save all sorts of people, but he can't save himself. Let me ask you the question. Why could Jesus not remove the nails and get down off the cross? It is not because of the quality of Roman hammering of nails. It's not. What kept the nails in the cross? What kept Jesus nailed to the cross was the absolute commitment 
of the Father and the Son and the Spirit for Jesus to be nailed to the cross and to die. That's what kept him on the cross. Because it is the Jesus that is nailed to the cross that is the one who is promised in the Old Testament that brings together the voice of the Word and the act of Jesus. And it says, those two we can trust. They are a voice from above the sun. They are a voice which has an authority over anything that we could imagine. That's what kept Jesus to the cross. That's what absolutely assured us that he was going to die. Because God had determined it. It was the way that he had been preparing us for. And it was the way that he revealed at that very moment. You see, John Lennon's Imagine is not a great deal of help, really. Because the reality is, to be honest, it's just another voice. It is an idealized voice. It is a utopian voice. It's an idea that we could perhaps imagine, but to be honest, it's just another voice alongside a kind of violent nationalistic voice that imagines countries with borders that are great walls and hate for everybody. It's just another voice. The voice that we can listen to, the voice that we can trust, is the one from outside of this world. So, I guess the, the teacher sums it up by saying this. Now all has been heard. Here's the conclusion of the matter. Fear God and keep His commandments. For this is the duty of all mankind. For God will bring every deed into judgment, including every hidden thing, whether it is good or evil. You see, the problem with John Lennon's vision, no heaven, no hell, what it says is there's no justice. That's the great problem. There is no absolute ultimate justice. I can do what I like. I can do whatever I want. I can live a totally selfish life, living for today. You don't care a jot in my mind. I can do what I want. I can walk through a shopping mall shooting people if I so desire because that is my sense of enjoyment. And in John Lennon's world with no heaven and no hell, there is no justice. And God says, you cannot live like that. You can't. You need to know that there is justice. And God doesn't forget. So live in the knowledge of God. Believe in a God who is just and kind and loving, so much so that He has died to save all of us who might have in our hearts the very sense of murder. But the cross deals with it. And live knowing that this is not everything. <laughs>